For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Hope Perry. You're listening to a Daybreak special episode. Today marks the release of The Daily Princetonian's Einstein special issue. Get it in print at a dining hall near you. It's Friday, February 25th. Last week for the podcast team, I sat down with Professor Michael Gordon of the Department of History to talk about his class, History 398, The Einstein Era. Okay, so I'm here today with Professor Gordon. Could you just take a moment and introduce yourself with your name and what your role is here in the department? Uh, I'm Michael Gordon. I'm a historian of science. I teach courses on the history of modern science, um, uh, sometimes on Russian history. I'm also the director of the Society of Fellows in the Liberal Arts, which uh, brings in postdocs, some of whom have taught many uh, students here. Awesome. And uh, we're speaking with you for the Einstein special issue that the Daily Princetonian is putting out, and you're teaching a course. So can you talk a little bit about that course? What's it called? What does it focus on? So the course is History 398. It's called the Einstein Era. This is the first time it's being offered. I had offered a uh, freshman seminar about Einstein, I would guess, over a decade ago. And I've always wanted to make it a more expansive class for more students. Um, It's uh, 80 minutes twice a week class. And the course is about Einstein, but it's really technically about the Einstein era. We use Einstein as a vehicle to talk about a bunch of different things. Of course, relativity and quantum theory and the scientific developments are part of that. But we spend time talking about Einstein on pacifism, Einstein on Zionism and anti-Semitism. We discuss the growth of nuclear weapons and also McCarthyism and anti-communism. And uh, we also discuss questions like Einstein and civil rights, which was a big part of his uh, activities when he was a citizen of the town of Princeton, and issues of Einstein's relationship to his first and second wife, a lot of biographical details. But the purpose of it is to try and see how this one person's life can help us understand an extremely turbulent period of world history in which he happened because he was so famous and situated in particular places at particular times, how he managed to touch upon and influence a large number of different intellectual, political, and scientific movements. So I'm wondering because you touched on a couple of different topics there, and you mentioned specifically Einstein during his time as a resident of Princeton. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that? I know that we have, for instance, an Einstein house here in Princeton, Mm -hmm. and there's a the fabled Einstein classroom in Frist, mm-hmm. but what really was Einstein's like role in his time like here in Princeton specifically? So Einstein had come to Princeton before 1933, which is when he moved here. He came and lectured here in 1921, and he had extensive correspondence with faculty members of Princeton going back from that period until he moved here in 33, when he became one of the inaugural faculty members at the Institute for Advanced Study uh, across town. Of course, then it didn't exist because they hadn't built the building yet, so he was here on Princeton's campus until that happened. So he lived, first he lived in a small rental house on Library Place for a year while waiting to find the actual house. His current house is current house. The house that Einstein lived in is on Mercer Street. It belongs to the Institute for Advanced Study. It's not accessible or open. Uh, His furniture and other artifacts from it are actually kept in the Princeton Historical Society, which is across the battlefield from campus. But there is an Einstein house there. He did spend a lot of time in the town. That mostly involved scientific work, also 
quite a bit of political work in the 1930s. He was a uh, touchstone for refugee politics, trying to get a lot of people out of Europe if he could, and to raise awareness about the dangers of Nazi Germany. And then he stayed here until 1955 when he died. He got involved in a lot of different things simply by being a member of the town, so he engaged with some student groups occasionally, especially those related to world peace. He was quite uh, supportive of civil rights for African Americans. That is an important part of the history of Princeton, that it was a town with a large African-American community, still is, and um, he was concerned about civil rights issues, which in some ways he analogized to the treatments of Jews in Europe. So that was another feature of the time when he was here. And then there's just a lot of other stuff. He was one of the most famous people in the world and probably the most famous American in the 1940s and 1950s. He became an American citizen in 1940. And as a result, there was a lot of uh, news coverage and his public speeches generated interest. So that's a lot of what he did while he was in town. He was both a resident of a reasonably small town and also a global citizen. And all of that was factored through living on Mercer Street. Got it. So another thing that I'm interested that you touched on um, before when you're sort of introducing the class was all of um, Einstein's role in, in the world of physics at large. And that's something that you touched on now. But outside of his role, you know, as a global citizen and his um, political thinking and opinions, what about his role in the history of science, which is what you teach? You know, where does he fit into that greater story? Obviously, he's extremely prolific. So, so uh, do you want to know about his role in the history of science in general or his role in the history of science during the Princeton period? Um, I think it'd be great if we could focus it on the on the Princeton period. I think people are a little bit more familiar yeah. with his greater, you know, yeah. legendary status. Yeah. So the legendary status is usually associated with, particularly in Bern in 1905, when he's a patent clerk, he publishes three extremely important papers on Brownian motion, on the photoelectric effect, which is the origins of quantum theory, and special relativity in a very short period of time. A decade later, he publishes his theory of gravity, general relativity, uh, and then in 1933, when he moves here, he's working on a number of different projects. I'll just highlight two of them. Uh, and they both end not necessarily in the way people usually like to think of Einstein, in that he ends up on the losing end of both of these particular developments. So the first of these is quantum theory. Einstein was one of the people who launched the quantum revolution in the sciences in 1905, and he was actively involved in it through the 1920s. He was often engaged in discussions with Schrodinger and Heisenberg and Bohr and all the others, even though generally people think of him as kind of withdrawing from this. He has occasional statements like, God does not play dice with the universe, uh, other statements he makes that make it seem like he doesn't believe that the statistical aspects of quantum theory represent reality. And to some extent, that's true. That's a thing he thought. But he was engaged in an active debate through the mid-30s and into the late 30s about what the proper way of understanding the micro world was. Quantum mechanics was a brand new theory from 1925, and it has a disturbingly relaxed attitude towards causal relationships. That is, A causes B in a deterministic way. For Einstein, that was pretty much the definition of science. So trying to understand how this incredibly accurate theory could yet somehow be delinked from what everybody had assumed was the nature of physics was an important philosophical question, but it was also an important physics question. And he was involved in those debates. Generally speaking, the physics community decided that Einstein's interpretation was less favorable than the interpretation associated with Niels Bohr from Copenhagen. So by the late 30s, Einstein is seen as having, and this isn't 
scare quotes for those people who are listening, he lost those debates. So that's thing one. The second thing in the history of science that he was involved with was a decades-long quest to create a unified field theory, a, a theory that unified for him gravity, which is what he did in general relativity, with electromagnetism which is what special relativity was mostly focused on. And he wanted to create a unified field theory that explained both of those phenomena. And it didn't work. It didn't work for two reasons. Uh, one is it's not compatible with quantum theory. Neither is general relativity, but we still use that. Um, the second reason is he thought there were only two fundamental forces of nature, gravity and electromagnetism. That's what everybody thought then. We discovered the the world discovered, I wasn't involved in it personally, that there are actually two other fundamental forces of nature, the strong force that holds the nucleus together and the weak force, which is responsible for certain aspects of, nu of atomic decay and nuclear decay. Um, and without those two forces, there's no way you can come up with a unified field theory. No one has yet, but we're, we would be closer than Einstein was. So his second big project, what he devoted most of his time in Princeton to, ended up not yielding results. So you also spoke a little bit about how a lot of the class is focused on biographical information. So sort of using Einstein as a way to look at this larger period of history in which he lived that was really, you know, turbulent. So I'm wondering though, um, what something is that you really particularly enjoy teaching from his life? Maybe a story or an anecdote or a particular concept. Maybe you've already touched on it, but if, if you already have, maybe there's something else. So I guess the thing I most enjoy teaching about it is his very distinctive voice. Oh, one of the things that's, uh, there are a bunch of things that are unique about Einstein. The fact that he is as famous as he is, is unprecedented and still pretty unusual. Uh, children today know what his face looks like. That's kind of surprising. But he wrote a great deal and we have preserved a lot of his letters, his public writings, obviously, they're published, but a lot of his private writings, too. And I find actually reading in detail his his voice, his uniquely personal voice, which has a particular sense of humor. It's not always to everyone's taste, but it is funny sometimes. And it has a very distinctive approach to how he reasons and how he interacts with others. I find getting discussing with students that, the human aspect that's behind this highly myth mythified figure, that's the part I really like doing the most. That resonates whether you're talking about his, his interest and involvement with the Zionist movement, his interest and involvement with physics, civil rights, pacifism, you can always hear that voice in the documents and uh, that's one of the things I find most exciting about working with him. What is just sort of one thing, um, if, if there's anything that I haven't asked you about already, that you really want to make sure that people know about Einstein or about this class in general? I guess two things. Okay. The first, which I, I think everybody who reads the special issue in the Prince will know, Einstein was not a faculty member at Princeton. He was a faculty member at the Institute for Advanced Study, and those things are different. Uh, this is just a little hobby horse because it's very weird to have to explain this to a lot of people. The second thing is we have a copy of Einstein, about 50% of Einstein's archive in Firestone Library and including some, so it's a copy of half of what exists now in the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, but also a bunch of original documents that are just specific to here. And anybody on campus can go and look at those and you can have your firsthand contact with documents or pictures that associate Einstein specifically with this place. Him sailing on Lake Carnegie, him walking through campus. And that's kind of a wonderful opportunity which people who are on Princeton's campus have access to that I wish more people knew about. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Thank you for talking to me. That's all for Daybreak for today. 
Today's episode was written and sound engineered by me and produced under the 146th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 2022. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Hope Perry. Have a wonderful weekend.